Hello friends, welcome to I Love You Anyway. My name is Justin White. This is episode 111, 111, and my guest is a film director who is embarrassingly new to me, but now one of my all-time favorites. Uh, He's known for such masterpieces as Reflections of Evil and the untitled Star Wars mockumentary and uh, Fatal Pulse and Fox Fur and a bunch of other stuff that you should definitely check out. So, um, there, I don't like to give spoilers and I rarely talk about things that would be considered spoilers, but in this episode, I did want to talk to Damon a bit about certain specifics of certain films. So, um, and I don't have an exact time code for you, but I suggest you just go watch everything first and then listen. But um, you're already here listening, so maybe you won't do that. But anyway, around the 45 or 50 or 55 or somewhere in there, Mark, I think um, we do discuss some films. But anyway, uh, let's get right to it. Sometimes I start mid-conversation because... uh, Either there's some logistical or technical talk that's unnecessary, or I say something uh, inexcusably stupid, or we're talking about something that's maybe only a handful of people would relate to or any be interested in. But anyway, here we go. We're going to start right in. Here he is, Damon Packard and myself. Let's go. still like you know a lot of the the old ways <laughs> i'm with you um, uh, for sure i i appreciate some of the newer technologies but i hate the the re- assumed reliance on them yeah well apple is especially bad with the way they they just get rid of everything you know yeah uh, and then you know making everything obsolete way yeah. prematurely i mean they've gone downhill actually in too many ways too many steps backward some steps forward but too many steps back um, and a lot of misadvertising and, and uh, you know, I mean, they're just a bunch of sheltered yuppies in Silicon Valley, you know, working. Right. Uh, you know, that, um, I think about that sometimes about just like who it is that's mapping out our universe right now. I'm sure you think about it, too, because it seems to show up a lot in your films. But mm-hmm. Just the these people that have like possibly the narrowest view in human history that that everything is done through the through apps and through the internet and there's no other world yeah. part of that and they're programming like most of our how we interface with society yeah it's absolutely <laughs> yeah i mean you know this is the kind of thing that david Ike, you know people like david ike if you know who he is talks about you know has been talking about for 30 years <laughs> um, i'm going to look into him i'm writing his name down you haven't heard of him david david ike i-c-k-e um mm-hmm. he's um um, I don't know how to describe him. Uh, there's there's a, so many ways of describing him, but <laughs> he's got a lot of books out there. But he's been talking about, you know, um, just uh, the, the sort of the cult agenda, the quote cult agenda behind um, transitioning society into uh, 
into, uh, I don't know, Ascension AI, silicon-based uh, software programs, right. for lack of a better way of describing it, and, and a lot of other things, you know, reptilian sort of um, uh, infiltration into elitist sort of power structures, I mean, governments, and, you know, if you think about who are, you know, you know, there's always like, you know, who is really making the decisions, you know, at the top of the, because it's always chain of command, you know, everything is run by lackeys and clueless lackeys, the right. organizations, every organization, medical, political, uh, government, it's just a bunch of lackeys, they don't know anything, health officials don't know anything about health, uh, politicians don't know anything about, you know, politics, I mean, um, or human welfare, or, or right, exactly, yeah, what's really right for the, you know, for um, it's all about money and, and profits and, and uh, scams within scams. And yeah. so, uh, but yeah, who are the, you know, if there are architects that are designing it this way, you know, who are they exactly? Um, and where do you know, I mean, I, I love talking about conspiracy stuff and I don't even, I don't like calling it conspiracy theory a lot of the time. Yeah, that's another one of those trigger trigger words that I immediately you know shuts people's minds off. I'm so sick of that too yeah I mean there are actual conspiracies and I think everybody yeah. should awaken to that fact and uh, every situation is different I mean you can't just heap everything there's this tendency right. to sort of you know just bunch it all into a into a category and and shut your mind off um, when yeah you just yeah, can't completely. do that yeah you can't mention one element of the supernatural or anything you know, far out yeah. without, without it triggering the, the tinfoil hat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Flat earthers. I mean, you always get the same references. Yeah. I mean, these, these idiotic references and, you know, right at the beginning, you know, right at the beginning of the COVID scam, and I will call it that, um, um, you know, the, this Q thing happened, you know, right. the, and that was like, that's, you can't get more Orwellian and sinister than that because that's like immediately labeling something of this, this ridiculous sort of extremist group who I don't even know who they are, how, you know, if they really even exist or how organized this supposed, but it was, uh, to me, it was just a, a way of labeling anyone who is, you know, has a functioning brain or is uh, right. able to, you know, do any kind of rational thinking or critical. Yeah. Um, or anyone willing to call out power structure? Yeah, the participants in corruption. Yeah, pretty easy to just say like, well, but you believe in this, and therefore you're insane, and we're you know we're the yeah. only. Um, but uh, so well, I'm sure we could talk about only that and go for four. Oh hours. yeah, yeah. But, um, and you know, I mean. Within all these organizations, you know, there's, you know, also the idiot mindset of the human species that, you know, um, tends to go into this direction, like, you know, uh, the conspiracy theorists think like everyone's in on a conspiracy, which is not the case at all. It's people working within an industry or, or uh, institution are, are just going along with the program. We're all going along with the program, regardless of what it is. Doc, you know, they're right. based on on, um, you know, uh, education and uh, uh, everything else. I mean, there are institutions that are, you know, um, that are designed that way. And, and then you just go along with the program. It's, it's all about, you know, uh, not rocking the boat. Um, it's connected with money um, and funding and 
collecting a paycheck and, and uh, keeping your job and, and um, uh, not having your livelihood affected. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, so it's not like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I just point that out. I mean, you know, people have this thing about, you know, uh, everyone being in on a conspiracy when it's just everyone not speaking out because they really don't want to jeopardize their position or their livelihood or their reputation or whatever, you know? Right. Because there's ample evidence of both actual conspiracies throughout our history and and also the evidence of people trying to cover them up yeah and that stuff's pretty readily available if you care to search for it oh Um, sure yeah exactly i mean a lot of it's right in front of your face and it's been out there for decades right uh and you know it's history repeating itself over and over and, and the thing i always ask is why like why do people implicitly trust their government and what, like, why would you based yeah. on what's yeah, been there's going like, on forever? Yeah, I mean, that's that's like, you know, that's like downright mind control in a lot of ways. I mean, if you think about, there's like this, uh, well, there it almost seems to be this prevailing attitude of ridiculing the camp of people that are uh, distrust the government, you know, ridiculing them, either heaping right. them in the category of the extreme right wingers or the Trumpers or something like that, which I have nothing to do with, uh, right. or yeah, it's just this ridicule factor, um, a basket of deplorables as if like, yeah, oh. you know, government is more trustworthy than ever now, or I, right. I don't yeah. understand it. <laughs> I suddenly believe everything you're telling me. I'm not sure why, but it, I mean, that's the programming that we all are raised with. At yeah. Least, at least oh yeah, our- absolutely. Like vaccines. That's, you know, there's this attitude of, well, vaccines have been around for 150 years. Why is everyone making such a fuss about this? We've had to get them as, as infants. We had to get them to go into the military to travel. My brother had to get several as if that makes them, you know, legitimate and uh, right. and good at that. No, they haven't even been around that long. As far as I'm concerned, the whole thing is just such a, a uh, you know, uh, well, it's all money making scam for one, but it's also, I mean, that's the thing. Does anybody, do you ever hear people asking like who benefits from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, a lot of people are benefiting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I was benefit. I mean, I would, I would go along with all this if I was making money in a second. You would? Yeah. yeah. If I was making money on, yeah. If I was making large amounts of money, I, yeah. Even if you knew that the guinea pigs were your fellows, your fellow human Kind. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to know where you stand. And now, that should be it. that should be the telltale right there. Yeah, of course, anyone would. It's all about money when you tempt when you have that kind of status. Uh, well, you know, look, if I was if I wasn't in a position where uh, you know um, I wasn't so um, let's say I uh, I had a uh, an independent. Um, if I was independently well off or or or, or comfortable, I I probably wouldn't be. Um, but um, yeah. at this point, if I was like offered a lot of money to change my tune, I would. Yeah. Maybe just do it for a little while and yeah, only, yeah. A, only a couple scores of people would die or be affected, and then yeah, and then you yeah. make enough cash to move on to something. exactly. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, yeah. people are expendable. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, well, 
Well, I, I would mean, protect my friends. My friends would be allowed in on the on the on the. Uh, you know, I'd keep them protected uh, somehow. <laughs> that's good to hear. Do you, I mean, how wide is that circle, or do you, would you rather not say? Huh? What? How, like, how wide would the circle of the protected be? Or, oh, or be uh, anyone who's smart, anyone who can think, <laughs> anyone I know that that, that uses their brain. Okay. Um, unfortunately, the rest, uh, yeah, are expendable. I'd have to say. <laughs> That's only if I was making large amounts of money, you know. So, uh, right. <laughs> right. Um, do you? Uh, is that a stance you've held for a while, or is that something that's come in recent, like, like uh, revelations of? It only comes because you know, if I wasn't, uh, uh, it only comes because you know things have been so financially difficult. Yeah. Um, what would you rather be doing for money? Making movies? Yeah. Um, doing something creative and yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, Do I don't you know still, what else I would be doing. Right. Well, and you are doing that currently, right? I mean, you continue to work on new projects? Currently? Uh, not really. Um, well, uh, you know, things come along every now and again. I, there's nothing going on right now. Um, really, there are long uh, dry spells in between something, and then the circumstances of how something comes about is I still don't quite, you know, it's a miracle, and I don't know how it even happens at all. It's amazing anything got made. <laughs> but, yeah, there hasn't been much going on uh in recent years and mostly it's just been you know it's just been kind of a survival um just trying to stay afloat and figure out how i'm going to make a living and um as you know the cost of living gets gets uh gets higher and all that kind of thing yeah uh, so yeah it's tough these days do, do you have a do you have a place to live that's stable well, it's stable for the moment, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, as long as I'm able to pay rent next week, it's stable. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can relate. Um, well, I'm. I'm. I. I mean, I'm always hope. I'm always wishing for people, especially artists. I mean, I, I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt from the start, but I. I have a special place in my heart for creative people who want to do stuff and uh it often takes money to do stuff and yeah and uh, i wish it could just i don't know i wish and it's also those people who are usually the worst at business or yeah. or anything self it's know. true i i you know it's the one regret i have too i wish i was savvy in some capacity at making money me too um because you know there are many ways of doing it and the world revolves around scams it's it's all about scams within scams every business regardless of how legitimate or how well intentioned the business owners are and there are a lot of really good people trying to do things on it still it always comes down you've got to work within the bureaucracy and it's all shaped around corruption and scams yeah. and, you know, and all that. so everything is, is uh, and control and you know it's all about how you know how savvy you are at working the, the scam uh, whatever it is um but, but don't it's you real feel, estate or yeah but don't you i mean personally i have no 
not only do I not have a predilection for that kind of stuff, but I don't I don't have any interest in it or any desire yeah. to participate in it. So it's, it, it's you know, yeah. it's like shooting yourself in the foot to to not participate. But but maybe maybe spiritually it's better for you to to just kind of be as you are and and do the best you can. Yeah, doing what you love. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, yeah, people who are you know are savvy at that, you know, have to have a an enjoyment or a passion for, you know, whatever it is, stock trading or or uh, or Bitcoin or whatever they've got going on. If they're making real estate or uh, trading or. Or, or they just have a passion for the things that those can buy. Like, yeah. That all those forms of money can, or the access that that grants them. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think. For some people, they're willing to do any kind of work, even if it's incredibly tedious and unrewarding. Uh -huh. If it comes back to them in the form of, you know, a house and cars and vacations and all that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. But I feel like you can make a really good life for yourself with with very little money, it's getting harder to do that to, for sure. And it's getting like exponentially harder. It mm -hmm. seems like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, if you were looking at a graph of the last 20 years of, you know, like normal person existence. Yeah, exactly. It would yeah. Get really steep, really fast. Yeah. Right. Um, and a lot of people are just straight up hurting right now. And, um, it's gotten to the point where it's, you know, you can't, you can't ignore it. You can't, pretend it doesn't exist. I mean, some people sure try to, but um, it's pervasive enough that eventually everybody's going to have to be, you know, awakened to that reality yeah. and say, you know, we either need to support each other or I don't know. I, th I mean, I think that's kind of it. We need to support each other one way or another. Yeah, definitely. But I don't think sure. we can rely on big government or any control oh, no. to do it for us. The corporations certainly aren't <laughs> working toward that no <laughs> uh, no you know we can do it for each other though yeah yeah absolutely yeah and uh -huh. you know especially when the you know when the government start giving away money you know that that uh, uh somehow <laughs> that's not good in the long run they're right we're, we're gonna pay for that <laughs> it's nothing's yeah uh, well they just printed it anyway so it's not it doesn't, right it's not that valuable to them yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. Pass it over. <laughs> It's all pretend. Yeah, exactly. Hey, what What do you think about the? Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I just heard something about the new Top Gun being like, writ, you know, written partly by folks at the Pentagon as a recruitment tool, and apparently the old one. Oh, is that right? Uh, the new that, one? That's what I heard, and I I don't doubt it. I didn't look into it, but I don't doubt it. I saw it. Um, yeah, I suppose. Uh... Because the first one, the, the recruit, the number of people who enlisted for the Air Force after the original Top Gun oh. spiked hugely right, like right after that was. Uh -huh. And so they, somebody said, oh, well, I think it's time. We need our military yeah. uh, enrollment is waning. We need to That's right. some new product to entice them our way. That's so, uh, probably true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I sure. Um, I just, I mean, I heard it and I just laughed, but I it also resonated so deeply that I was like, well, that's absolutely got to be at least partly true, you know? Yeah. But I just think oh, it's so absurd that that's what it. I, I mean, that kind of propaganda has been going on since uh, World War II. And, so and it's, it's nothing been, new. And it's been studied by many 
since that time, you know, it's sure. great when people know exactly how to do it and they know the science of how your brain gets tricked and programmed and, oh, and sure. the people practicing it now are experts. You know? I mean, not just that. I mean, I, there's, I'm sure there, I mean, there's books about this and everything. There's all sorts of propaganda and programming going, coming through mainstream movies, you know, uh, hidden symbolism and things like that. I, I, I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah. Um, I love that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't love, I don't love it that it's happening. It's fascinating. Know, yeah, there's super there's... fascinating. Yeah. Cool. I, I grew up in Ann Arbor uh, oh. in the 70s and 80s. So uh -huh. we might have some references in common, at least like TV. And, and Ann Arbor used to have a, a Super 8 film festival years ago in the 70s and 80s. I remember I, I remember submitting some of my early films to them. Oh, cool. Did any of them get in? No, I don't think so. No. Um, did you ever go to the festival? No, I didn't. No. Um, yeah. No, but I just, I, I just remember that. You know, I, I think, you know, I would always submit whatever the latest Super 8 thing because they used to project, you know, the prints and everything. Yeah. Um, so, have you been making movies since you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, started in the early '80s. I mean, I was only I, I was born in Akron, but came out here when I was about five years old with my grandparents. So I've lived out in Southern California, all over the place in, in, in general, for the most part. I lived half part of the time in Venice, part of the time in Chatsworth. Um, two different polarizing lifestyles, actually, at that time. Venice wow. was just crazy. Um, 
but yeah, uh, but yeah, it started in the early eight. Well, it started in '82, actually, specifically. I, you know, that was just an amazing summer. Uh, you know, uh, summer of '82 was just uh, exploding with creativity. So, um, uh, and how old were you? I was. Uh, let's see. It was 14, 15, something like that. 14, 15 at the time. And did you just? Did you no, already it, love watching movies, and you just thought you wanted to? Yeah. Get uh, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, I'd made some stop motion films earlier in junior high school and things, but just yeah. I, well, I just remember. Well, I re I can remember vividly. I uh, I was heavily into video games at the time, and um, I'd won a a video game in a, in a defender contest, the video game defender. Nice. Um, um, you know, I won like second place, and and they and I won a. Uh, I had my choice of. I chose an asteroids because I thought that would, and I wanted to put it on location to make money, and I was thinking of getting into being because a friend of mine was was into doing this, and he was the same age as I was, fourteen, fifteen. He was like a business entrepreneur. This guy, he was. Uh, uh, he uh, suggested I put it on location, start making money, and then put a whole. You know, because that was a big thing back then, putting video. You know, in the early eighties. You know, yeah. independent operators would put video games at in laundromats, and you know, you'd make money. Gas stations. Yeah, exactly. If yeah. You could be an independent. So I started doing that with the Asteroids game, and I was thinking, like, you know, if I make enough money, I'll get another one and put it. In. So I found like a pizza joint, and but ultimately, what I did was I just sold that. I didn't stick with that long, and I sold it and bought a camera with it, a Super 8 camera, because uh, I just wanted to start making movies. So that was the point where. Um, that's you know, amazing transition to what a great trade-up that's a that's a really cool story but i still have uh, mixed i mean because i i made this I, I bought a terrible you know i didn't know anything about cameras at that time and uh i just remember i you know i got i, I made a terrible decision buying the first camera i got a good one shortly after that finally i got a canon but i bought some and then i, I bought a chin on then i had a canon 1014 you know as far as the super 8 equipment goes you know but i yeah you know, i got this real cheap one at first that uh, <clears throat> that was terrible and i uh, realized you know uh after that was a terrible decision you know i could have made more money for one on the video game and two i should have bought this camera well uh, you know you know it's 14 years old you know so yeah i think we have to make those kinds of mistakes a few times to get to get through I, yeah. I did the same thing i bought i I went, I was always like the dumb consumer who wanted to get the thing, like, you know, the Sony Watchmen, the little uh, black and white TV, portable TV. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. The screen was like an inch and a half diagonally. Uh huh. You could barely see anything. And it was back when they only got three or four channels anyway. Uh huh. But I had <laughs> to have that thing. I, I like, I worked my ass off at whatever job or chores I had uh, to make enough to buy it. And everybody in my family was like, coaching me against the decision you know uh -huh. you don't want that you don't need, you, you're not going to use it i mean we had we had a good tv and we had video games and stuff so it was really dumb but i wanted my, i wanted my own personal screen you know yeah way back when you went the first one i wanted the first one available the sony watchman what year was yeah. that oh man it's got to be earlier mid 80s but um, did you have uh did you have an atari 2600 Oh yeah, big time. Um, yeah. My brother and I grew up on the and kind of mastered every game you could play on it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Until until E. T. I think that's we we oh, gave well, it that was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the worst game ever made. Yeah. Yeah. You but, saw the documentary, right? That they bury the cartridges in the desert. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Amazing. Um yeah, I grew up with that and then I mean my brother was kind of my main well not kind of, he was totally my main influence in a lot of realms. And he and I collectively bought the Atari and the games and we would save up our allowance and you know every as often as we could we'd just go get the next game yeah. and then we but you know he convinced me that we needed a coleco vision oh yeah yeah sure yeah 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 a friend of mine had one of those yeah yeah that was pretty fun and and not many people had them so we it was pretty cool to have yeah those games different set of games and then we got an intellivision sure yeah 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 um, but I remember they had those weird controllers on the Intellivision, right? With the weird push buttons or something. Yeah, they were super hard to get used to, and there are only certain games that they really made sense for. Yeah. And then they they came out later with the little joystick that you could buy separately and attach. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we I don't think we had that. Maybe we got those. I don't know. I got used to the controllers, but uh, I don't the, know. The Atari Twenty Six Hundred was very. You know, it was it was amazing how revolutionary that game was for for an 8-bit system and the designers who started making games for them like third-party designers like activision you know were doing amazing stuff for that time totally um there was a game called kaboom that activision made which is uh which was incredible for that time and things like that that game was great i remember that yeah where you catch the bombs and it gets really fast and, mm -hmm. um yeah, I was always looking forward to the Activision games. Uh, yeah, and they're, they're I almost ended up working for Activision actually at one point. I remember uh, uh, applying for them. Uh, uh, the what would you have been doing? I think testing, game testing. Nice. Um, yeah, you know it's funny. It, it makes me think of there was a, a movie I thought about making. I don't know. You know, it might still be something that that could happen. I doubt it, but uh, about. Um, in, in the early 80s, I had kind of a little little sort of a uh, delinquent uh, piece of history here with a friend of mine that we were the, the video game bandits. What, what I mean by that is <laughs> this friend of mine, he, he was really quite a genius. You know, he's the guy who was, I said, it was the entrepreneurial type and he, he was right. wanted to start putting games on location and making money. Well, he had a collection of keys to coin boxes for just about every game in existence. And I don't know how or where he got these games. He also used to take off the um, those plaques on the front of video games, the, you know, the sign or the artwork. Yeah. Uh, uh, he used to collect those. He used to take them off. They were, you know, they were easy to take off with a couple of screws. And he used to, you know, decorate his room with those things. But he also had the keys to the coin boxes, like a huge set of them, um, that he somehow got through connections. I don't know. So we used to go around to these arcades that were kind of hidden and didn't have security or cameras. And um, I would be the lookout man, and he grabbed the coin box, and uh, you know we'd get a, you know we were we were the we were the video game bandits, um, and uh, <laughs> and you would go around town hitting multiple. Yeah, arcades. yeah, yeah. Oh, and we got we got busted. We got we got chased by security, and uh, yeah, um, it was like uh, yeah, it was it was like a movie at times, you know. I love it. Getting, um, I had a friend like that too, actually, and he somehow he managed after years of being the one who, well, he would he would instead of taking that panel and taking it off, he would just unscrew it enough that you could reach inside the game and hit the little trigger for oh, the. Oh sure, yeah. Well, there were 
different ways of getting free games too. Um, yeah. You know, a string on a quarter. Um, right. We tried that. Yeah, we used to do that one. Uh, I think it worked on vending machines mm-hmm. at you know at hotel motels and stuff. You could clean up. Yeah. Um, that's great. Getting yeah. free games was yeah it was you know that was that was like small uh, you know that was small potatoes we we're, were on. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're 13 or whatever, it's like <laughs> kind of your only. It's what you would be doing anyway. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're just having somebody else fund it for you. Um, it somehow seems fair. You're you know you're keeping their establishment running and full. Yeah, exactly. I think we spent cool. all that money on video games anyway, so uh, <laughs> it went all back. Um, so when you first started making films, did you just, I mean, did you have any kind of vision or were you just like gather your friends and tell, you know, were you trying to tell stories or were you, um, how did you approach it? When I first started? Yeah, like when you were quite young. Oh, you know, they were just experimenting. Uh uh, making little, uh, it was usually, you know, a cartridge of Super 8 film was a, a little less than three minutes. So I'd, I would, I'd started off making these, these in-camera edited little three-minute shorts or two-and-a-half-minute okay. shorts, uh, in-camera editing, you know, and then started editing and, and dubbing and mixing them shortly after that. And, and um, yeah, you know, just right. improvising and different things. Usually a lot, a lot of improvisation. It wasn't, wasn't spending a lot of time writing scripts or, or anything like that. I just wanted to, I just wanted to experiment. And uh, you know, I bought a uh, had a backwinder and it would do uh, effects with, and um, uh, you know, things like that. That's cool. And you just have your friends be in it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 And then at what point did you start to really take it more seriously or feel like it was something you knew you had to pursue? Well, I mean, I was taking it seriously when I first started in 82, actually. I was probably taking it more seriously then than I ever did, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So 82, 83, 84, those were the real serious years. It got probably, as time went progressed, it got less serious as you know, making a living and work became more, um, more, uh, pressing. Um, so yeah, I mean, well, I guess maybe I phrased the question badly, but I guess what I mean is like when, uh, well, maybe there, maybe there's no question there, but I'm just curious to know the sort of the, what, what drives the pursuit of the films you make? Like what, what is your, like, was there a point where you're like, I want to, I want to take these, show these different perspectives or, or did you just, I don't know. There's so many, well, so many uh, elements of the actual filmmaking itself that I want to talk to you about. But I guess the, the drive and the inspiration as it once existed was different. You know, in, if you're talking about the eighties and nineties and even the early two thousands, to some degree, there was, um, there was still a feeling of, um, there was still a strong, passionate feeling about wanting to explore certain concepts or ideas, and uh, you know, uh, there was still a feeling of, of really wanting to, you know, do something. As that that sort of deteriorated the, the further time went by, so um, I don't know. There was always this tremendous sort of need to to 
um, to do the next thing, to explore some idea or something I wanted to do. Um, well, even all through the, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, all through the, the 2000s, really, up until, uh, um, I don't know, up until Foxford, probably, 2012. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, I don't know how to uh, answer that outside of that. I mean, the, the, I mean, do you feel like the ones you've made since then are not, because I still, I feel like you're doing stuff that nobody else is doing, or if they are, you're, you're, they're not doing it the way you do and not, mm -hmm. as, not as well. And I feel like, I feel like you might not have even gotten credit for th for certain things that you possibly originated that now, you know, people like Tim and Eric are, are famous for, you know, just editing styles and stuff that hmm. got, gotten other people attention that I don't know. I didn't, I didn't go on the date line and see exactly where, who came first, but I don't know. I feel like somebody must have seen some of your work and been influenced by it. Uh, cause you're doing stuff that nobody else, I don't think has ever done. Uh, that was poor grammar. Yeah. But. Well, that's nice to know. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I really have no idea. Um, I mean, even in the later one, like, I think, I mean, some of the stuff in fatal pulse is so, well, first of all, I, I think I laugh more at your, like during your films than probably any other, any other group of or directors films. Fatal Pulse was uh, very much like, um, well, Foxford did have more of a script, but it, 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 it grew out of a shorter piece. But Fatal Pulse was definitely very improvised in terms of uh, we had access to a location. We had access to one location originally, a, a, an expensive home in the Hollywood Hills. So it started off as just stuff we're shooting you know, making up on the fly while we had access to it. And then it just grew and grew and grew from there. Okay. So that was how that project came about. It was purely just because we had access, we started making things up. I tried, I really tried hard to sit down and, and build something on the footage that we shot to actually, you know, write a uh, cohesive story around it. Something that was, you know, like we could, you know, something that could all be set in the house for one. I couldn't do that. I needed it. I needed to get out into the world and have chase scenes and action. And, but I right. still could never figure out what the hell, you know, I mean, there's, it was just improvised all the way through. Um, you know, it was just a very simple kind of, uh, you know, assassins chasing after corporate people and, um, you know, everyone wanting to kill each other. And uh, right. uh, that's basically it. Um, but did you? Had, had the couch you well, I guess the couch potato idea was that was the, the core of it. That that was the core idea, where this character, this 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 uh, good for nothing brother-in-law of these two powerful corporate, you know, this 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 couple that live in the Hollywood Hills, um, can't get rid of. He's just been living on their couch, uh, watching one nine hundred infomercials. The one nine hundred infomercials were were also a big part of the yeah, like the the uh, inspiration for it. I didn't I didn't know how that was gonna. So that's how it all started. Was just. I think the whole movie was going to be that originally. It was just this, this character on the couch, one nine hundred commercial, and the couple trapped in the room. That was the idea, but you know, it just I could not figure out how to you know fill out uh, a feature with the, these minimalist um, uh, ideas and settings and characters. So um, 
Yeah. Well, you did it. You, I mean, you figured it out in my opinion. And, uh, I love the stuff. I mean, did you plan ahead of time to, cause you, you do a lot of intercutting with actual footage, you know, right? Like you use live footage, you use TV and movie footage. Yeah. yeah well, there is a lot of that in reflections of evil and also fatal pulse because the one 900 infomercials are, and the commercials and all the TV programming was a big, you know, like with Reflections of Evil, the TV programming of the early 70s, the movie of the week and the commercials and all that, how that shaped the the tone of that era. I wanted the yuppie fear thriller to be how the early 90s had shifted because, it, you know, uh, the memory of that era was sitting and, you know, watching TV late at night with all these, these endless um, sex phone line commercials that I remember. Yeah so well you know um playing over and over and over i mean that was going on for some time so um yeah, yeah it was basically every commercial break from 11 p.m to 5 a.m right exactly for, for five years or something yeah exactly from about uh, yeah and all those mcdonald's commercials and you know <laughs> yeah. i mean all that stuff uh, yeah. shaped yeah. that era Night, um, alert. Yeah. for any uh for for an obsessive TV watcher. Yeah. Uh, so and, you, and, and LA programming specific. I mean, the you know, it's it's a it's a very LA movie in terms of the all the broadcasts and the news breaks and everything that's you know, and the commercials. They were regional for, for LA. Right. Um, so yeah, I, you know, and the Sunset Strip. I wanted it to be a very LA movie. Yeah, it it does feel like it is. Uh, very much, although I've, I've never lived there, but I've spent some time there. Mm -hmm. um, but so then tell me about like when you, when they're puppets or, you know, uh, yeah, like what, how does, how did that come out of the need to continue to tell the story without the footage or was that a diff, was that just how that they came up later, I think, while maybe I, I can't remember when towards the end or, to, you know, towards the middle of shooting at some point where, uh, again, it was just the opportunity to use someone who, who did puppets and made them and wanted to contribute to the movie. So whoever was around wanted to contribute their artistry into it. Um, I would try to fit it in some way. So I knew this guy. Uh, I think I done some work with him. I cut some stuff for him before. The guy who did the puppets in the movie, he's a friend of the, the, the guy who plays the lead in the film. It's his one of his close friends from Canada. So he wanted to do some puppet creatures in the movie. And I loved his his puppet designs. They're so, you know, I thought they would fit in, you know, uh, to the sort of dark alley, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's how that came about. And I figured, you know, at some point the character, the main character will die and come back to life as a puppet. And, and walk around in this limbo afterlife. And I couldn't really figure out a way of getting that across clearly and how that transitions to the riot sequence uh, at the end where he comes back as a real person. He runs into himself uh, in, a, in a parallel timeline uh, as a puppet and the real person. And then and then the story continues with the real person from there. <laughs> and right. I don't remember how I was trying to logically explain that. But, uh, well, there was a time portal, right? Yeah, it was some sort of a transitional. There was some kind of an overlap of uh, of uh, dimensions or something going on. Right. Um, I can't remember what I was thinking, but yeah, I, I was trying hard to figure this all out. Uh, and um, 
But the more the movie grew, the more convoluted the, you know, <laughs> the, the the improvisational nature of the movie was was getting. So it just, um, you uh, know, it just became what it, what it was. Well, I think I mean, I think it's brilliant in in a lot of different ways, and it's doing something different than most most movies. Uh, and and I just think you in general, the way that you're the way that you it definitely took longer than anything i mean it you know i started on it in um well like actually i think it was uh december 2014 was when we first started shooting some very early scenes but most of the shooting was in 2015 and then it was finally finished in 2018 so um you know it was uh in the end it was like uh it was, a, it was a struggle to, to get people back and finish a chase scene or a, right. you know, a riot sequence or a, something like that. Uh, well, those chase scenes are amazing. Uh, I don't want to give any more away than I already have. But, um, but it's definitely a, it was taking this idea of um, building on something, improvisation, you know, taking a, a something you shoot and then you build on that afterwards. Right. Um, that was how the you know the whole film was constructed that way. Um, That's cool. And did you do that with the others as well? I did that with Foxfur as well. Yeah. Even I though love... Foxfur was based on a, there was actually a screenplay for that, so it was it was it was more scripted, but it was only meant to be a short scene. I went out to shoot a short, scene, and then I turned it into almost you know a mini feature, sixty minute feature, just by right. improv, you know, building on things the same way. Yeah. Is that why the characters, uh, the actors change? Yeah. Well, that was because I couldn't. The actresses didn't want to come back uh, okay. after a day of shooting or after a night of shooting. Yeah. <laughs> it's as simple as that. They just, they just, they disappeared. Uh, they didn't, they didn't want to do anymore. So I didn't finish the scene with them. So I just got someone else. But I love that you used what you had anyway, yeah. and then there's just confusion from like yeah with the rest of the characters like who who are you. I love that. It's incredible. <laughs> it's amazing. And then, and in a way, or at least for me, that just makes me open to anything. Like what, you know, when that happens early on in the story, that you're just like, all right, well, all bets are off. They're, it could go anywhere. Yeah. And that's to me, that's pretty exciting when I'm watching a movie and I'm, you know, not, and I don't know, your movies both make me laugh, you know, like out loud, which very few things do. And they also terrify me sometimes. Like some I'm of the sorry. some of the footage is like I mean the the people the real people that are you know down and out and you you know there's some there's footage of that all over LA I would imagine yeah um, but the way that you use it interspliced with I don't know the, and the, I don't know it's I'm not I'm not doing I'm not doing you any justice by trying to describe your work but. I just there's something about it that strikes me in a way that very few things do, but but it consistently works and hits me in that way. And uh, I mean, I think I watched the Star Wars, the Untitled Star Wars mockumentary first, and I was uh, laughing harder in the first like 30 seconds of that film than I think I've ever laughed. And I think my brother had the same experience, and another friend of ours who. Uh, we've known forever and who doesn't 
you barely ever see him crack a smile. So he and he was just dying laughing at that. So anyway, I just wanted to get to oh. let you know that there's something that you're doing. You're striking a chord with at least some weirdos on the planet. And I would imagine you have a pretty big following, whether you know it or not. Like, I think your, your films are probably being passed around in, in circles that uh, are ever widening. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, don't know how, uh, I don't know how big it is. Um, I, I mean, I'm always amazed that, uh, well, people in movies, you know, hardcore movie people, movie, you know, I've definitely heard of them or seen them, uh, uh, you know, cinephiles, people that right. uh, run into or go to screenings and uh, people work at the few remaining video stores that are left, right. those kind of people. Um, the fives that are left? Yeah. And there is a new generation of, of cinephiles. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm glad that it's at least some, it's, the torch is being handed off at least to some extent. Yeah. And the cool thing is that all that stuff exists now and it's just there. Like people are consumers so they can go find kind of any anything. There's so much out there now. Yeah. I hear that people are buying VHS tapes of just... Yeah. Like, just right, you know, like eight hours of daytime TV or whatever, you know. <laughs> they're paying yeah, like <laughs> just random stuff. They'll pay big, big dollars for it. It's weird. Yeah. Well, John Carpenter just sold off his VHS collection in, in like 10 seconds. <laughs> he advertised it. Just things that he recorded on his, you know, at, uh, at his home. I don't know if he, oh, wow. on his Facebook page, he had like a huge box or a couple boxes of hundreds of cassettes of movies and TV shows, things that he recorded, they're just not, you know, stuff that's already available, but they were just his home. And uh, yeah, he sold that in like 10 seconds. It was, uh, it was, I think it was an auction or something. For millions. Um, yeah, well, I don't know if he made, I think he made like six, 30 grand or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, but uh, yeah. Wait, I was so going to say about Foxford is I was, uh, I was so glad that we got that last sequence film because that was I didn't think we'd ever get that, the or at least part of that because uh, you know it was written in the script where um, the sequence at Malibu Creek Park where she becomes this Robin Hood character and she walks you know when the bus crashes she right. wakes up and she's crossing over into Malibu Creek Park and she steps into the year 1982. And, um, you know, she's wearing this Robin Hood costume and then she wanders into the set of uh, uh, of them filming MASH, you know, one of the last seasons of MASH in 1982 and all that stuff with the chase scene with the bus drivers and all that. That was all written. And um, I just didn't think it was, you know, with no money. at the, And I even have I don't even think I had a car at that time, you know, um, <laughs> um, that I would ever get that, you know, with the costumes needed and everything. You know, that's a tough, you know, it's out there. Um, you know, shooting fantasy scenes. Um, it was it, it, somehow, you know, at least I got a little bit of it done on, on that on that scale.
did you um, did you do any acting? I mean, aside from in your own films growing up, did you take classes or go to school for any of it? No, uh, no, I've never really been uh, not much of an actor. I've never had any aspiration. I mean, I've played characters in my own movies just out of necessity. Unfortunately, I didn't. You know, I played the main character in Reflections, even though I didn't want. I certainly didn't want to. I want to ask about that. Does that? I mean, that seems like that one must have been one of the most difficult yeah. trials imaginable to go out as that character. In yeah. Um, you know, it just. I mean, there was just no other way. I couldn't find anyone uh, who was who was good enough uh, or willing uh, to put themselves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was all the guerrilla shooting we were doing, and the constant, you know, cost the the, the, the discomfort of the costume and. Uh, uh, the headphones and the shirts and everything. Uh, yeah, you're, you're wearing like eight shirts and twelve yeah. headphones or something. <laughs> so ridiculous. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And then a bunch of stuffing underneath. Like, right. Yeah. Right. It's supposed to be growing bigger as the film progresses, but there's <laughs> right. so, the, the, the continuity is all over the place in that movie. It's. Uh, I love that about it, though. It's so. It's so. By the fun. time I get into Universal Studios and Magic Mountain at the end, suddenly I lose all those pillows because we couldn't create too much attention while we were in there, and I wanted to shoot chase scenes in the ET adventure. It was amazing we got away with a lot of that. I, was, I wasn't sure how much we would get away with it, but uh, we somehow did. <laughs> you got all of that footage, and I mean, without getting caught, right? Well, uh, eventually they did throw me out of Universal. Um, but you know, I got all the yeah. I mean, I had completed. Uh, you got what you needed. Ninety-eight percent of the filming. I actually sent someone in after I got thrown out to do to do some second unit stuff, because <laughs> uh, I bought seasonal passes for, you know, some friends of mine who were helping out. Like you know, we went in there with actors and a crew, and um, so I sent someone in. I remember to get some some pickups of uh, I don't know exteriors and things. But yeah, no, I had I had shot everything I needed to. Yeah. Uh, I was getting a little too brazen, I think, you know, by the time, by the third or fourth shooting day when I, you know, I was bringing in the 16 millimeter camera, I figured, ah, you know, let's try to, I just kept pushing things and finally, they, you know. Yeah, it seemed like I wanted to ask if there were moments where you were, because you're engaging with people who have no idea what you're about, right? And they're, you're filming their real reactions to you. Oh, well, yeah, some of it. Some, of, some it of it staged. Yeah, there was a combination. Yeah. But were there, I mean, were there moments where it felt actually dangerous and like you were in trouble? Or, or did no. you feel confident to do it and be weird enough that people would? Oh, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was great. Uh, worked out well. No, no, there were never any real dangerous uh situation no not at all uh what about with the dogs was oh that no that was great yeah the stuff all the stuff with the homeless people and the dogs that worked that, they were great to work with um uh the dogs um that 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 went remarkably smooth that day um the dogs knew they were acting in between takes and um i mean they literally did and the, you know they would they would start barking on cue and then in between takes you know they were wagging their tails and i was petting them and uh, I don't know how that, you know, because I'd only planned to shoot a couple of people with dogs that day, but I hired three times more than I needed because so many people wouldn't show up. So I overhired quite often on that. Uh -huh. um, so all these but people showed case, up. Everybody showed up. Yeah, that I think there was a situation where yeah, just about everyone showed up. With their, so I put them all in the movie. 
just used that and then you know had a pack of it looked like you know neighborhood uh you know uh <laughs> it's amazing and, it's... Uh, ganging up on this character uh, with your dogs so. yeah uh, the scene's incredible uh it's a i mean it's pretty nerve-wracking as someone who loves dogs and works with them and you know knows what could go wrong in a situation like that but yeah no it worked out really well <laughs> it looks great i mean it looks great and it looks real so, um, dogs are 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 very actually very easy and very uh very adaptable and um you know they're very smart um cats on the other hand and other animals um are, are not uh you know you have to just shoot a ton of stuff with cats and hope you get something useful um, yeah Dogs are very trainable. Um, cats are not, and um, yeah. So, that's, I I agree that as someone who's spent a lifetime with both, I I, uh, I concur. But uh, I've never. I always like to have a lot of animals. Like, again, I love to handle have a lot of animals. In, yeah. uh, in my films too. It's pretty great when it's when it's intercut with like and this and the sounds. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> It seems like you must have so much fun in the editing room because some of the foley that you come up with is beyond belief, and it and it makes me so happy that you're doing it because I remember at some point as a I don't know I always wanted to make movies and I haven't I've made a few short uh -huh. videos and and uh, like a thesis film for this alter alternative school I went to, uh, but I haven't really followed through on any of the big ideas but it's, as a kid i remember thinking at some point i want to make a movie and at one like just one instant in the movie there's a piece of foley that doesn't match uh -huh. the, thing, the thing that's the action and uh but then never refer to it again and never don't make a big deal out of it just uh -huh. the secret thing um but then to have you <laughs> like sort of well, overdo the Foley or I mean, yeah, just all these layers. And it's like, and like some of it obviously coming from other sources than yeah. what you're seeing. I, I love that so much. And it's, I don't think anybody does that, at least not in a way that makes it funny and it still works. Like it's still, the story's still told. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I was I, having a lot of fun with that, especially on Reflections where everything was dubbed. Yeah. Um, I needed a lot of voice work done on that. I actually wish I'd hired more. You know, I, there were so many voices needed. I was doing too many voices on my own. I wish I'd hired more, spent more money hiring, you know, voice actors. Because uh, I did have the money on that. I just decided, you know, I was cutting corners too much, doing too many voices on my own. Because mm. uh, uh. I love, you know, have you ever seen, uh, and I love when other movies get created with that. Have you, have you ever seen um, Putney Swope? yeah um that's a that's a that's a great example of funny dubbing uh i think and it's probably some some like unconscious uh influence uh but yeah i mean just all the, <laughs> the voices in that yeah love it's that. great when they're like in the conference room and yeah 10, ten people are talking at once and yeah you hear you son of a bitch or so you hear something <laughs> in the back all the black voices are done i think everyone's voice is done <laughs> yeah yeah, that movie's pretty amazing, and that's early '60s, right? That's, that's... Uh, no, late '60s, '69. Late '60s, oh, okay. Yeah, Robert Downey Sr. Yeah, uh, uh, but still pretty kind of uh, innovative 
for the oh, time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hilarious movie, yeah. It is. It's really funny. Um, do you have other, other standout influences that come to mind? Um, oh, God. I mean, there are so many. I, you know, where do I begin? Yeah. We have I know it's always a hard question. Thousands. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any that any like certain like actors that growing up that stood out to you, or um, specific films that just blew your mind that you? I don't know. If you don't want to answer, you don't have to. I know it can oh, be. Oh yeah, I mean there are tons. I mean, I, uh, uh, Ken Russell's The Devils was one that uh, you know I think is one of the best films ever made. You've seen that, I'm sure. Um, I have. It's been a while, but I have, I've seen it once. Uh, I mean, you know. God. Um, how do you feel? How do you feel about Repo Man? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. one of mine. That's one of my faves. Uh huh. What else? Um. What else? Me? Or are you saying yeah. to yourself? What else? Oh, um, I'm always, I mean, I don't know why I even asked this question because I'm terrible at answering it. Um, I know there's so many. I mean, I love so many, you know, and there, I, there are just so many things just in the last, say, 20 years or 10 years that things that I've, you know, constantly discovering new things. And I mean, foreign films and there are films yeah. all over the world. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if you had in the 80s, I hadn't seen any Lars von Trier movie. Well, maybe I'd seen a couple of them, you know, things like that, you know, uh, um, you see the celebration? Did I see that one? Is that that's not Von Trier, is it? Uh, or is it? Oh man, I I'm, now I'm gonna feel like an idiot. I think that's uh that was uh, no, I know the one you're talking about. That was like yeah. another Danish the other film. Dog, my guy. Yeah, I always confuse the two for some reason. Von Trier did. Uh, I like his, you know, the, the, like he did Breaking the Waves and Dancer in the Dark and. Um, oh right. Uh, right. I like the you know his sort of. His depressing, bleak, <laughs> uh, and and his fascination. I, I, I think I share a, a uh, an obsession with his fascination with these these fragile female characters, you know. Uh, uh -huh. uh, and breaking the ways, uh, Emily. Um, what's her name? And, Watson. Uh, is it Emily Watson or? Yeah, Emily Watson and um, and you know and York. York. York is amazing and dancer. And, uh, yeah. That's um, cool. Um, yeah i love those kind of uh if you can you know if you can capture that genuinely um that's a really tough thing and and he was able to do that you know bjork i mean who thought bjork you know uh but um it's, just a, it's just a rare thing elizabeth hartman and a patch of blue is another good example of that no, I love that. Who was the other actress I was thinking of? Uh, just Anyhow, um, that kind of, uh, you know, innocence and uh, uh, it's, it's just so rare and hard to, and genuine sort of uh, quality in a performance. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, I was hoping that, you know, that was... I was, I was trying to find that in Foxford, but I knew I wouldn't, you know, on a no budget scale, that's, it's ridiculous. Even, even, uh, even trying to attempt such a thing, completely ridiculous, but, um, <laughs> that's something I'd still like to do someday, you know, yeah. The circumstances and the amount of time and budget were there to realize it. 
casting is so important. You know, casting is, is everything. The characters are are what you know are are, are everything. Um, um, they're the people that you know get you hooked into it. Uh, right. And there are very few. You know, another problem with modern movies, not just the aesthetics and the CGI and and uh, you know retreading over familiar ground and all that stuff. Um, digital you know imagery and everything but just it's just the actors most of the actors just aren't uh terribly interesting uh yeah very, i agree very, very few anyways um there are some that i like um but uh yeah you know what i mean i mean i think so <laughs> i mean uh, you know go back 50 years and you throw a stick in the air and and uh you'll you know land on someone interesting uh, yeah you'll hit three interesting people right from, yeah from and today i mean you really have to search hard to, um yeah man i hope i hope that i don't know what would have to change for that to well people were more into you know and that i mean you know people in general were just more interesting yeah in the past they were they had more character they had more everything about you know the human yeah personality was more interesting people were uh more grit more openness exactly and they had a real history to their lives i mean you know tough guys for example on screen they were real tough guys they had they had a background they they were war veterans they you know they worked in a mine. you know like charles bronson really worked in the mines uh uh you know a lot of these guys they were they, they you know they uh lee marvin you know is a yeah I think he was a World War II veteran. So a lot of them were. Um, Those days were indisputable tough guys, and they they were the real thing. They were they they had a genuine quality to them. Um, yeah, just don't have that anymore. I mean, now you have like you know Ryan Gosling and and uh, um, you know uh, what's that guy's name from you know uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Just take your pick. I mean, the guy was yeah. I mean, the Brad Pitt and the Tom Cruise and the, like the good. Yeah. The pretty boys who are tough, yeah, but they're, but they're not, and they're now like you know, uh, aged out as the sort of Gen X pretty boys. You know, they're not even right. At least they're they have. I would, I would even put them in a category as slightly more interesting because at least they have a tiny foot in the past. Um, yeah, a tiny tiny foot uh, <laughs> of character. I'll take Brad Pitt or or, or Tom Cruise over um, over um, Chris Pratt or right. um, you know somebody like that.
gone to shit in recent years. And uh, yeah, that's um, that's been uh, common lately. Yeah, um, with I don't know what a lot to... of people. It's short-term memory, remembering names and titles and uh, dates and things like that. Uh, it's been yeah, I think I mean, it has something to do with the computer era. You know, everyone's minds. It sure seems yeah. like it. It seems like we weren't, our brains aren't really designed to take in input 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, definitely. Oh, well, I mean, just think about in terms of, I mean, how how memory uh, and, and uh, memory retention has deteriorated so much, just say in the last 10, 15 years, relying on mobile phones mobile phones huge huge cause of damage you know and internet um but uh you know not just the emf and all the damage that's coming from radiation that's constantly you know creating all sorts of health problems and everything and, that um, nobody but, really talks about yeah exactly right exactly yeah oh yeah no, ignore that you know and you're we're, being, you we're being bombarded by you know all sorts of you know all kinds of uh, uh radiation uh, wireless and everything that's but uh, but just the fact that we, we're so reliant now on everything with with um, with mobile devices, um, uh, you know, you can't we can't remember phone numbers, we can't remember how to get to the corner store without the GPS, we can't do anything. Uh, yeah. Isn't it, without, isn't without it crazy how quickly that happened? Yeah, yeah. It's so bizarre to me that that like all these people who grew up with common sense knowledge and you know critical thinking. Uh, yeah suddenly had none like it just sort of disappeared with the yeah the uh angry birds or whatever i don't know what the star <laughs> star what's the sugar sugar castle crush with a candy crush okay <laughs> right yeah. yeah all that shit that just like <laughs> wipes your mind clean and uh gives you a fresh start program start tiktok and uh yeah instagram I know, and it's and but now the culture has been designed and intertwined with that, like designed around it, such that you sort yeah. of have to use it. You have yeah. to use it if you want to participate at all. Right. It's such a bummer, and 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 it stripped all the all the sort of communal yeah sharing uh, aspect of it out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah. Now you get an ad every third swipe. You get an you get you oh yeah being I sold mean, something at every instant. Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. I mean, we're, yeah, exactly. Um, um, so where will like what where could there be a pure art forum? Like what's left? Do you have to just meet people in person and do you share your projects and collaborate on stuff? Do you think everything's going to have to go down back down to smaller scale? Hmm. Like I don't know. Engagement. Uh, I don't have any kind of hopeful outlook at all. I don't know. I really. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you, do you uh, have a very cynical outlook? Would you say? Yeah. Or is it just real? Do you feel like it's just realistic? I just, I just feel it's realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you yeah. feel hopeful about anything? Like I mean, personally, or or on a grander scale, it's a hard it's a hard question. It's a hard time to be asked that question. So yeah. feel, feel free to, to 
pass for the, I don't know. I'm trying to look for things that make people excited and interested in life. And I, I don't, I, I struggle with it personally, even yeah, when it's, it, it is I a love. struggle. Um, even yeah. doing the things that I love doing, I have a struggle with, like, like I have a hard time disciplining myself enough to do those things. Yeah. And now I've gotten to a point where I can barely even tolerate doing the other stuff, like the tedious parts of life. Mm -hmm. And that, and then when I see like all tons of people, like the whole world over kind of in a panic, um, about this or that, it's hard to have energy toward anything that doesn't feel like s small in comparison, mm -hmm. you know, like putting my love and life into some creative pursuit that four people are going to see, you know, it's disheartening before I even get started. Right. Well, it's, I mean, but I also think like, what the hell else am I going to be doing? Like I'd rather yeah. be doing this kind of stuff than anything else. Yeah. So if I just have to struggle a bit to survive, I wish we didn't, I wish none of us did, but you know, uh, I, it is worth it to me to just kind of scrape by if I get to do my art, my different kinds of art, mm -hmm. but it sure would be nice if somebody else just paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> like sure. a, fair, a fair price. Yeah. Um, enough to but, you know, live, uh, enough to get by anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why that's such a difficult model to, achieve. I think it just takes a shift in focus, you know, paradigm and decide what you actually value. Um, but it seems like that might be, we might be on like the thousand year scope of you know, that, the pendulum swinging back toward, uh, like giving a shit about artists and stuff. I mean, at some point, yeah, it seems like, uh, life can't go on as it is with everyone living this lifestyle of glued to their phones all the time for one thing uh and all the, the the problems with emf and everything that's got there's somehow that's got to, that it has to end it's just not a healthy lifestyle uh and i don't know exactly how that's going to happen it might have to be uh you know it might have to be some global disaster all the satellites get knocked i don't know yeah <laughs> um you ever find yourself longing for that for such a thing? Well, it's giant uh, solar flare or something. No, I mean I. You know, well, <laughs> I mean that's going to be really inconvenient and tough for everyone if suddenly the power grid goes out and we lose all the satellites. Uh, some, <laughs> some people actually probably love it. You know, if you're if you're very self reliant, if you're living out in, uh, if you're very self sufficient, you know, and you live out in a rural area, you've got your own generators and everything. Yeah, there you go. They're, they're fine. That would be uh, your heyday. But for yeah, us in the city, that's going to be uh, <laughs> bad news. Pretty interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah. How that's going to, I mean, if it's, it's long term, anyways. But but even know. in the short term, I feel like there's going to be like this massive withdrawal from like like cold turkey withdrawal from all the fix that everybody's been getting from their daily yeah check-ins. You know, whatever it is they use, uh, my myself included. I mean, I I, I pick up my phone way more times yeah. per day than I need to. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a really bad. I mean, it's yeah, it's a really bad addiction. Um, yeah, it's so hard to resist, and you have no. There's nothing supporting you to resist it. Everything's just supporting you to 
to go go for the vice. Just go for it. Just do it. Just there's somehow like, that just can't. I don't see how that can continue. I don't either. Yeah, uh, I don't, but I don't know. I don't know exactly how. What's going to regulate it? You know, what's going to get people? You know, to stop. You know, to to somehow balance out. There there has to be a way of balancing out technology with healthy living, um, minimal use of of technology and uh, getting away from harmful effects of radiation um, you know what little is known about it or what little is known but i think there are probably a lot of our, you know there are a lot of health problems with it um for sure yeah somehow yeah i don't know how long it's going to take or what form it's going to be it's it seems like there's there has to be some kind of massive apocalyptic sort of you know disaster that forces everyone to, to go back to living like like Amish. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wonder, I always think about that, if that's ever going to come. And if it does, who will be qualified to live that way? Like, so, yeah. so people will have lost all their traditions and oral history and, you know, and they won't have any kind of manly grit, you know, Lee right. Marvin grit to get through it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I, what are these, uh, yeah, these like, these delicate millennials going to do and <laughs> yeah, yeah when they got to chop their own wood and carry <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah they're going to be fucked <laughs> <laughs> yeah they you need we need some uh, some sterling haydens and, <laughs> to haul haul the shit and ride the ox It's hard to find people making interesting stuff these days. Yeah, it's very rare, far and few between, sure. Which is why I want you to continue and uh, hopefully, you know, find more. I hope more, so. I, more yeah, places to do it. It's Would you? To, uh, yeah, I mean, the inspiration is just dwindled. It's such a, uh, it's such a tiny uh, flicker of. Uh, <laughs> I can totally relate. I think, I mean, I think a lot of people are feeling that these days, but I think it's important to keep the flicker alive. Um, 
one way or another. Yeah. I mean, I mean, are you able, do you have time to do creative stuff? Do you get to work? I do. I, I actually do have the time, but not the money. Yeah. <laughs> if I had no time, then I would probably have the money. Right. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard trade-off. I don't, I'd rather have the time personally, but, um, but that's why I've been broke all my life. Uh, but do you, would you take, like, would you look for writing jobs on films or TV, or do you want to do anything else in the industry? Well, I, you... I mean, I have been sort of uh, working as an editor for, oh, cool. for, for some time. Uh, so, yeah, I do editing jobs, do a lot of that. Nice. Um, does, it, um, does it satisfy any creative... No, usually, usually it's pretty miserable. I mean, depending <laughs> on that, it's pretty horrible. Especially, you know, the more. I mean, if you're working, uh, I mean, it's, everyone I know, my friends who are editors who uh, are working on a TV show, so they're just in misery. Um, oh no, they're in hell uh, because it's all about deadlines. It's not. There's nothing really creative, uh, or nothing creatively satisfying about it. You're just you're just following someone else's instructions, and you're making endless endless changes. And there's no gratification. There's no, um, uh, there's, you know, there's no thanks in that. It's a thankless job completely. Right. And uh, yeah, it's just like trapped in hell. Uh, it's, like, it's endless changes with um, thankless changes. Uh, you know. Um, right. Yeah. It's never it's any gratitude for the no gratitude. For, yeah. Exactly. Have to keep doing whatever they ask. It's like visual effects work. You know, any kind of post-production work is like that. Yeah. Visual, visual effects work is very similar. You're spending countless hours, whatever it is, you graphic motion, you know, motion graphics and, and uh, or 3D animation or whatever it is you're doing. I have friends that work in that field, too, and they're also just trapped in that hell of uh, endless revisions and just, you know, stuff. I, I, love, uh, I love how your commentary on that in the mockumentary. Uh, uh -huh. It's so fucking funny, all this stuff about Spielberg and uh, uh -huh. just eating milk duds and stuff during the, yeah. it's just brilliant. Uh, was, uh, yeah, I can't even, I have to watch that again. I've seen it <laughs> a couple of times, but it's, every time I just laugh my ass off, it's amazing. And it's, it's just, funny, my friend Sean, who was in that, who played the other ILM guy, uh, he works professionally, or he did, he got out of it. He was just, he was just in misery. They work professionally doing motion graphics for trailers and doing the title designs and, you know, for like Batman or Justice League and things like that. And he hated just, uh, just you know, uh, nonstop. I mean, they would spend so much time and money on all of these stupid things. And, um, and, it, and, and uh, none of it means anything. And it all kind of looks the same anyway. Yeah. It's like that every big explosion has been done. And I, yeah. I don't know how, yeah. I don't know anybody who likes... I don't know. The people who get into that that type of stuff probably would love to be doing some kind of design work, like anything artistic about it. But they get like somebody has to do the grunt work. Yeah. So, uh, too bad for them, I guess. But I mean, it's unfortunate because you know people like like my friend Sean, like that. You know, they had a, you know, they 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 had a, they always wanted to, you know, they had a passion for doing something, getting a job like that from a younger age. You know, like. That was a kind of a big break, you know, that, that right. was a big deal. But then they finally did it, and it, it was just, it was hell. Right, and, it's nothing uh, like what they imagined. Nothing like their their dreams, you know, could have coming true. Yeah, I mean, 
But it seems like that's been the story for mo most yeah. people in that industry where they're just like, so why are people still, I guess because those movies need to get made, so they're still hiring. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to be, I don't know. I, to me, if you're not pursuing, like if you don't get some personal reward from what you're doing, then, yeah. then you probably shouldn't be doing it. You know, uh, That's um, my take. But I, I can't fault anybody for taking a job and keeping it though. Right, exactly. I mean, you have to do something, but yeah. Um, and jobs like that are certainly better than some of the other ones out there on offer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I think that that's part of what's wrong with where our society's headed is that so few of the people coming up now have had any kind of job that teaches you about much of anything i mean i don't know everything's everything's been automated to the point where the jobs that are left are barely job like yeah i don't know it's just cogs in a wheel like there's yeah. no room to be innovative or entrepreneur or anything or maybe yeah. there is and i'm just out of i'm just a cr you know cranky old man who doesn't no you know. no i think no you're right absolutely i completely agree yeah <laughs> but it uh, i don't know People need to still make stuff, though. Like I, I feel like that's a human thing. It's a human urge. Yeah, we're still here. I mean, somehow. Um, yeah. So, so we I guess create. something. We've got to do something. <laughs> we're still we're still here. Right. Um, what the hell are we supposed to be doing? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well. Um, I, uh, it's that's a semi bleak note to to. Um, <laughs> it's a perfect, perfect way to end the. Uh, yeah. The, yeah, we'll wrap the, it up at the at the, the interview present. Uh, well, I really appreciate you t taking the time and talking to me, and um, I'm sure there's more stuff. I'm feeling sort of yeah. scattered, like I didn't, I didn't ask very many uh, pointed. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had any more. Yeah, no, that's all right. Yeah, I mean. I, I mean, I wrote a bunch of stuff down, but I think it would be kind of boring to, I don't know. I just went back and watched a few of yours and I've, and I saw everything that I hadn't seen, but now I have all the YouTube stuff to explore, which I didn't, uh -huh. I haven't even started to dig into that. So I'm excited that there's <laughs> like semi recent work that I could. Yeah. Do. Most of that is relatively minor. Uh, it's just fool around stuff, uh, little shorts that I did, you know, like in a day, things like that. Um, it's just various things. Some of it, I, there was a music video I cut uh, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, I think. Uh, things like that, just minor stuff. Yeah, but still just a, like an expression of self or of whatever. Yeah, this guy, right. I, I mean, it's every now and again, I've just got to do something. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's that's the answer to that. I mean, you were asking, are you still doing things? I guess, I mean, I, uh, I guess I am on this very small scale because I do, you know, I do have the urge to just make these little shorts every, for no reason at all, for nothing. And it's, I'm not, it's absolutely no, yeah, I don't even know why. I just have to do it every now and again. But uh, but is it satisfying for you when you, like, when yeah. you, yeah, well, that's enough reason. That's, I don't think you need any more than that. Any. If anybody watches it and likes it, then you've given a gift to the world. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, about right. 50 people might be watching it yeah, <laughs> at, this, at this point. Yeah. Well, I'm going to work to bring that up to at least 60. That's my, <laughs> that's my promise to you. Well, thanks so much. And yeah, uh, and I'll just be in touch. I'll let you know. Okay. As, as it's coming together. I'm, like I said, I have one other before you and I'm trying to move quickly, but I also have sure. a million things happening. So yeah, I'll, I'll ask for your, your patience, but I'll be, um, I'll get to it because I'm excited about putting it out. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah. Uh, trim out, yeah, you know, as much as you want. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. Talk to you later. All right, man. Yeah. Thanks right. a lot. Thanks. See you. Thanks for listening, everybody. That was Damon Packard, uh, film visionary and gentle sir. Um, I was really grateful that he and I were connected, and I want to thank my friend John Hanford for for making that happen. Um, he reached out to Damon on my behalf, uh, unbeknownst to me but I was delighted to hear that he had made contact and we followed up and here we are. And uh, so thank you so much, Damon, for taking the time to talk to me. Um, and thanks for being so incredibly patient as I put the whole thing together uh, amidst the multitude of other happenings in my life. Uh, so I hope you all enjoyed please go check out Damon's work. He's got, um, he has a YouTube channel. If you just search his name, Damon, D-A-M-O-N, Packard, like the car, P-A-C-K-A-R-D. And um, you'll find his YouTube channel and he does short films and stuff there. And then you can also find him on Facebook, um, searching his name again, or I'll, uh, I'll also leave links in my in the description on my website which is iliapod.com that's i-l-y-a-p-o-d as in i love you anyway podcast um and what else what else oh man isn't life hard sometimes i mean it's pretty fun it can be and it can also be challenging and it goes up and it goes down it goes round and round but to me one of the coolest things about life is uh, the creative stuff that people are doing and there are lots of people here on this planet and there are a lot of people doing cool stuff and so let's try to help each other out and support one another and uh, you know buy, buy a thing that somebody made or go um support their patreon or something like that you know what i mean uh and if any of you know a way to connect damon with film you know film centric people who want to make things um you could reach out to me or to him i think i think he'd be interested in connecting with people who want to work on stuff maybe i'm Maybe I am speaking out of turn, and I apologize if so, but I want to see him make more films. So if you know how to make that happen, or if you just have a shitload of money and you want to 
I want to pour it into somebody's passion project, then I elect uh, Damon Packard and myself. I'll split it. I'll split it. Okay. Love you guys. Talk to you next time. Bye.